us and chiropractors and acupuncturists and body workers, like we were kind of shoved into this like natural health or this like wellness spectrum. That's great for some people, but that's not us. We're doing evidence-based things. This is not wellness. This is health. This is your physical health. I think now that that stigma is down and people are understanding like, okay, this isn't just wizardry, that there's actual things that are important in our body and that we're paying attention to those things in a different way and treating that whole person, people are taking greater steps to come do that and they don't feel as many barriers to seeking that care. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 31 of Be More Well. My name is Jeff St. Pierre, and this week we're going to be talking about the importance of pelvic health and postpartum recovery with Dr. Samantha Duflo from Indigo Physiotherapy. If you've listened before, welcome back. I'm so glad that you continue to make us a part of your day. If this is your first time checking out the show, thank you. I appreciate you stopping by. Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast that was created after I woke up one morning and just thought, man, I, I don't feel right and I need to make some changes. But where do you start, right? There are so many books and YouTube speeches and articles with all this advice. How do you sift through it? So I wanted to talk to people about their stories and how they find wellness and mindfulness in their lives. On Be More Well, you can expect to hear conversations with doctors, musicians, athletes, authors, and everyday people that are fighting the fight to become the best possible versions of themselves. My hope here is that you'll find some inspiration from my guests. I know I definitely do. Don't forget to subscribe to Be More Well on whatever platform you're listening on right now. That way you'll be notified about the latest episodes and you can go back through some older ones as well. And please feel free to leave a rating and review while you're here. That always helps out the podcast powers that be so they know which podcast to push out to new listeners. First interview of 2021 is officially in the books here, and I'm excited about this one because part of it hits kind of close to home. You see, my wife gave birth to our baby girl back in December. Since then, we've had quite a few discussions about how she wants to get her body back to the way that it was before being pregnant. She's expressed frustration about how things weren't changing as fast as she had hoped. I know we went on a walk with our baby uh, about a week ago, and she really struggled with the idea that she wasn't able to walk at the same pace that she was before. These are mental roadblocks that she's fighting to get through. Now, we both understand that bodies don't change overnight and it is going to be a process, but it has brought up some good conversations about how important it is to take care of and listen to her body. So I wanted to talk to somebody that's an expert in the field of pelvic health. What I didn't expect to find out was how important that is for not only women who have given birth, but all women and men. I had no idea how much in our body was impacted by our overall pelvic health. This was an eye-opening interview for me, for sure. And pelvic health is even becoming more important now because so many of us have gotten out of our normal routines and find ourselves sitting down more. You see, to me, I always thought of pelvic health as something that women dealt with more after they give birth or even during uh, the birth process. But no, it's something that we all deal with, especially now that we're sitting down because we're just in that position so much more today. I reached out to Dr. Samantha Duflo from Indigo Physiotherapy. Dr. Sam is a physiotherapist, certified running coach, and leader in the field of women's pelvic health. Her practice is the only pelvic physical therapy practice in the Baltimore region, and their reputation is amazing. Between Dr. Sam and the rest of the staff, they've got some incredible minds all working together to help people out. You know, something else that was kind of interesting during this interview was a discussion about the difference between wellness and healthcare. Dr. Sam and I got into something about how people associate healthcare with doctors in white coats and everything else is just sort of hippy dippy. My words, not hers. I believe she used the term wooey instead. Uh, but pelvic health and 
physical therapy and other services along those lines are healthcare, but they tend to get lumped into this wellness conversation. And for some reason, that turns some people off and keeps them from getting the help that they need. I hadn't really thought about that before. So I thought it was kind of great that she brought that up and we got into that during our interview. Now, before we jump into this conversation, just a quick reminder here to follow Be More Well podcast on Instagram and feel free to reach out with any comments or questions. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about the show, what you like, what you don't like, maybe some ideas for future interviews. Please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you guys. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm well. Nice to meet you. Congratulations on fatherhood. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry we had to change things up so many times. Jeff, I have a toddler. So, and I, my husband and I both work outside of the home. So, uh, I totally understand. You do not need to apologize. <laughs> One of many apologies you will do over the next like many years of like, sorry, I couldn't make it. My kid dad, it was a disaster. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure. You know, it's funny. I had a lot of things I was trying to cram into the end of the year because I knew January was going to be crazy. The baby was due on January 2nd. So I mm -hmm. thought, okay, if I can get everything done in December, then January, I can take it easy. And then she decides to come a month early. So throws off all my plans. <laughs> lesson number one is you cannot control anything as a parent. Oh gosh. It is so, so true. Uh, but, but everybody's healthy and happy. Yeah. You know, she was uh, born a month early. So there are some things that they're kind of keeping an eye on. She uh, mm -hmm. hasn't really been gaining weight the way they want her to, but no one seems overly concerned. So I think we're just just kind of taking it day by day. But other than that, I mean, yeah, everybody's doing great. So good, good. <laughs> uh, Dr. Samantha Duflo, uh, you know, you work over at Indigo Physiotherapy. Is this your company? Did you start this? Yep. I started Indigo Physiotherapy about five years now ago, and we have a few different locations, but our home base is Baltimore. That's awesome. When you say a few different locations, where else are you at? We're currently present in Mount Airy and Ellicott City. When I look at your name listed, there are so many letters after your name uh, that I, <laughs> I don't really, know what yeah. any of them mean, uh, but definitely I can tell by looking at it that you've done a lot of work in your career. So my the acronyms behind my name mean that I am a doctor of physical therapy. So I went to the University of Maryland School of Medicine to their doctorate of physical therapy program. But I am also a clinician that is highly certified in pelvic health um, for all genders. So that's what part of that means. And then I am a um, RRCA certified run coach because I work with a lot of athletes, prenatal and postpartum. So that's part of that. But initially I got into Indigo because I had gone to Malawi and was working in mother to child transmission of HIV AIDS in a rural healthcare clinic. And once I started working in that prenatal and postpartum field, I, it was just so intrinsically gratifying. I knew that was where I was supposed to be. So bounced around the United States a little bit, kind of trying to find my niche and, and where I wanted to be. And I really love Baltimore. So I ended up back here and opening up Indigo to serve the population here. You went to University of Maryland. Are you from the area originally? I am not. I am an upstate New Yorker. Oh, where about? Rochester. Rochester. My wife is actually from just outside Binghamton. Um, yep. My brother went to RIT, so I've had a garbage plate. Uh, yes. That's about my extent of knowledge of Rochester. <laughs> 
That's one piece of Rochester. <laughs> there's actually, it's really funny. There's a huge upstate New York population in Baltimore. We get people like weekly through our doors. And as soon as I see those 585 or 716 area yeah. codes, I'm like, tell me about you. <laughs> it's really funny how the area codes stand out. I know we're getting sort of off topic here, but uh, I'm from New Hampshire originally. And, and when I got my cell phone, there was still a thing known as long distance phone calls. So I uh -huh. kept my uh, cell phone number because my parents could call that and it wouldn't be long distance. Uh, because they still live in New Hampshire. But now, I mean, that doesn't exist anymore. And I've just kind of held on to it. So it's funny when you see those area codes you recognize, you're like, hey, all right, we've got something in common. Let's talk about it. We've got this. a kinship here. Yeah. <laughs> it is so funny. Well, I'm glad that you ended up here in Baltimore because based on what I've been reading on your website and learning more about you, you're really offering an incredible service. And, and my wife right now, we just gave birth to our first baby. I say we, she gave birth to our first baby. Uh, but now she is in that postpartum area where I know she, wants to get more active and she wants to get back into sort of a daily routine. But, you know, there's a lot of physical changes that happen when you pass a human through your body. So you've got to do the right things. How do you explain to them that transition process? The best way of explaining it is that let's think about a surgery that you might be familiar with. So if you see somebody that had like an ACL surgery or some kind of knee surgery, they leave surgery, they have a protocol, they go to PT, they're using crutches initially, they're learning weight bearing. And then gradually over the next like four to six months, they return to regular exercise and and full strength. And then it's really about a year post-op that people are back at their optimal peak performance, whether they're just somebody that jogs on the weekends or is a professional athlete. Now that's just an ACL surgery. Pregnancy is a physiological change that affects literally every cell in your entire body. So your wife now has freestanding DNA fragments of your daughter floating in her bloodstream. Her, her literal DNA has changed and it affects how your brain works. It's not just those moving pieces of producing breast milk or lactating or what happens to your uterus. It changes your cardiovascular adaptability. So when I say that to people, you know, women and, and people that are giving birth are really expected to be like, all right, you were cleared at six weeks, like back to normal. <laughs> and it's a transition in so many different layers that I tell people to really expect it to be about a year mm. or more until they feel physiologically so much more like they did before. Um, I also tell people that what is portrayed on social media isn't necessarily <laughs> the truth. Um, I will tell you as somebody that birthed a baby and that knows all of these things, um, it is also challenging to kind of like do that first reveal with a mirror and say like, oh, wow, like I thought I was supposed to lose like 25 pounds when I had this baby. Um, things certainly don't look the same um, from an abdominal standpoint to a below the belt standpoint. There's a lot of changes and the changes look different from person to person. So as far as the best advice to give somebody when they're returning to exercise or activity is to remind yourself that you had this full body physiological transformation. And not only that, but you're not just going after that transformation and getting 12 hours of restful sleep a night. You're potentially producing breast milk. You're not getting great sleep. You're under a lot of anxiety as a new parent trying to keep this tiny human alive that they just like sent you home with after 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> and so providing yourself a lot of grace and, and going slow back into it. 
I think that 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 six week mark to 13 week mark, if somebody has had a cesarean section, that's really just the start. That's just the guideline. Um, And that's kind of like a big arbitrary. That number is based on the uterus being able to contract and resume its normal position in the body. And when the placenta is delivered, you're left with a hole the size, not a hole, excuse me, a wound the size of a dinner plate. So that six-week mark just means that wound has has approached its final healing. So now you can start other things. That six weeks doesn't mean like go jump into a 60-minute high-intensity spin class. That's interesting. And, you know, I I think looking at your comparison to, not comparison, but when you were referencing, say, an ACL surgery, when you get that surgery, you've got a brace or you've got something that's visual that you see wrapped around your leg and you can see, okay, I got to take it slow or I've got to be careful here because this is something that I'm working on. You don't see a lot of the stuff after pregnancy, the postpartum. It's a lot of it is going on inside you. So you may feel discomfort, but you're not seeing it. And I think a lot of humans in general are just visual people and that helps a lot with that. Yeah, we're not all walking around with like our postpartum undies on the outside of our jeans, right? Um, those are those are some classy garb there. Um, so no, you don't see it. And sometimes your body doesn't really give you reminders of that until you've kind of taken it a little too far. So we'll get a lot of phone calls of people like 10 weeks or 12 weeks postpartum. Uh, and further on a year postpartum and they say like, Hey, I thought it like everything was great. My doctor cleared me. They said, I didn't have any abdominal separation. I was like, fine to go exercise. And I ran five miles and now I feel like pressure or falling out feelings or something doesn't feel right. And then we kind of have to go back and peel back the layers and say like, all right, let's just get back to basic foundational strengthening here. And there is so much mental work that goes with it, too. Like, I know my wife and I were just having this conversation. She was kind of looking down at her belly and she was like, man, I just I thought that, you know, I knew it was going to be a process, but I thought I might bounce back a little bit faster than where it's going. And and even though we all know that the second a baby pops out, you don't immediately go back to what your form was before. There is still a mental expectation of baby's gone. I'm going to get back into this place that I was. And, And you really have to work mentally and physically at the same time with this. Well, I think, I think our generation and those around us, our, our job is to kind of like burn that word bounce back um, yeah. because it, it doesn't really, it has this expectation and, and many different forms, not just a physiological or a physical standpoint, but like, oh yeah, you'll like suddenly resume emails or resume dishes and cleaning the house or whatever your daily tasks are. Um, but it is a big mental game. And postpartum mental health support, especially during that fourth trimester, is really critical because it is such a transition. And for somebody who is really active um, or has a particular way that they view themselves, um, it can be really challenging to see stretch marks or to see this kind of um, loose skin or change in tissue texture or kind of floppiness for lack of a better description of your abdomen and that will all change but the first the first few months it's it's like okay well I know I'm not supposed to do sit-ups but like what do I do about this and do I have the energy to even do something about it so you mentioned that six weeks is kind of a loose guideline. You know, six weeks yeah. is is where if you give birth vaginally, it's it's kind of that place where your body, you know, has healed enough that you can maybe start to do different things. What what's a way to ease back into 
physical activity. I mean, like you said, you don't want to jump right back into a 60 minute high intensity workout, but you know, someone who was really anxious to start getting more active, is there a way that you would suggest easing back into it? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways. And I have to be careful here because I think a lot of people should see a pelvic physical therapist sure. because that's in particular our job. And so we can't just dole out all these exercises to people because your wife would be different than me or different than our colleagues. Um, but really starting really slow, doing things like breath work, like diaphragmatic breathing helps to engage your deep abdominal muscles. And you can start that immediately after delivery and really doing some of that big belly breathing and then exhaling and feeling your abdominals contract afterwards that can start syncing up your abdomen and your pelvic floor and helping that kind of tissue that is around there re-engage and relearn what to do. But between that, getting up and walking and doing, I kind of like, I joke about these exercise cleans, um, like Suzanne Summers and Jane Fonda, like those basic thigh exercises, like think thigh master, you know, when you're like laying on your side and your one leg's like going up, yeah. that those are really great exercises to start doing um, after that six week point, because they don't involve impact. They help strengthen your pelvic floor and your core muscles again. And you're not doing big kind of like grotesque movements like crunches or right. planks. There's a middle ground there. The same with postpartum yoga. I mean, there's a reason that it exists and that it's so great is because it can gently take you into some of those, those muscles relearning this new position that they're in because your muscles were used to being in one place, then your belly grew. Now they were engaged in a different place. Your posture has changed. Your muscle tone has changed. And now it's kind of back somewhere in that middle ground. So we have to reteach it what to do. I know I'm a guy, so I probably don't look at things the same way, but am I crazy or has pelvic health become a much more popular topic in say the last five years or so? Super. Yeah. When I started out Indigo five years ago, I had a lot of voices being like, this will never take off. Like people are not interested in this health. And I think that there's a lot of intersectionality here, right? Because we're working for um, prenatal and postpartum health, uh, women's rights, uh, trans queer rights in the maternal and birth world. Um, and so a lot of this this advocacy for women's health and then our generations kind of seeking more, more relevant and evidence-based information on how to keep their body moving. So yeah, it's really taken off. And, and that, that becomes problematic too, right? Because like, for instance, your wife can hop on Instagram and say like, well, there's these like 10 people and they're all kind of saying different things. And so how do I sift through that and find like, well, what do I really do? Yeah. And it's interesting too, because what little I do know about pelvic health is that it seems like it's a really important thing to understand. And it seems like it would be something that uh, women should really be searching out after they give birth or after they go through something like that. But I think back to my mom or, or women of that generation, and I don't feel like they were looking for that or they weren't pushed in that direction before. And it kind of makes me wonder why. Well, I think Traditionally, and I've spoken to my mom about this, you know, they, they were kind of told you go to a doctor, they're like wearing a white coat, they're the authority, they know what's best sure. for you, they tell you something and you do it. And really pelvic floor exercises didn't take off until the 60s and 70s. And even then it was considered like wooey. Well, now 
like Jeff, if you think about a can of soda, if I take a can of soda and I, and I suddenly chop the bottom off, it's, it, it, it removes its utility. It's no longer a can of soda. That's your core. So your pelvic floor is super important to not just being pregnant or being postpartum. It's important for daily life. Just, I mean, and that is, goes across all genders or sexes. So I think now people are going into midwives or birthing centers or OBGYNs that are very familiar with this and saying like, okay, well, if something's weak, we should strengthen it. Or if something is tight or hurts, we should help those muscles to relax or that tissue to engage differently. Maybe I should ask a a question that I should have asked before. Can you talk a little bit more about what the pelvic floor is and why this has become so important? You just referenced the the Coke can example, but Mm -hmm. maybe not everybody listening is super familiar with what we're kind of talking about in general. Okay. So imagine a can of soda and the top, like the pop top would be your diaphragm, like what sits under your lungs and helps you breathe. And then the bottom is your pelvic floor muscles. And then what wraps around the sides is your kind of abdominals and canister. So years ago when like core exercises really took off, that was so focused on the abdominals, but that's only one out of three parts of this closed container. So the pelvic floor is actually three different layers of muscles that are kind of stacked on each other and they function to stabilize your pelvis to provide sphincteric control. What that means is like your anal rectal and your um, urinary areas, like holding poop and pee in essentially for sexual appreciation. Um, And it's really a support for, think about the weight of all of your like abdominal and pelvic organs and everything's kind of with gravity going down. It also provides for birthing um, the birth canal as those muscles open and allow that to descend and sexual appreciation. So the pelvic floor is important for all of those things. I think why that's another reason why there's lending so much greater voice to why pelvic floor muscles are important is that we're we're trying to educate people that like, for instance, that sex should not be painful. Mm-hmm. And historically, it has been for many people. And so that's part of what the pelvic floor's function is. Do you hear from a lot of people, because I imagine, you know, right now with a lot of people that have been working from home and readjusting their life, that they're sitting down a lot more. I know for me, yeah. I'm sitting in one place all morning now in my normal radio station. I'm bouncing from studio to studio or I'm moving around doing things. But now I'm just sitting behind a computer in my basement talking on a microphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you hearing from more people that are, are finding discomfort or pain because they're oh, not yeah. getting the normal movements? All the time, every day. Um not just the normal movements, but pressure on your tailbone as you're sitting, or a lot of people are working on couches or beds. Um, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm constantly trying to move around when I'm not in our office and kind of hide from my toddler <laughs> and, you know, like sitting on a couch or something like your, your butt is kind of tucked under and you're sitting on your tailbone more. A lot of people with neck and back pain because they're kind of sitting on a dining room chair and leaning over their dining room table or sitting on a bar stool, things that they just intended to do maybe for six or eight weeks. And now 10 months later, people are really trying to adapt that differently, but postural changes. And also just being inside a lot has really affected people because, you know, you might 
in a normal day move from building to building or go outside and grab lunch with your peers or things like that. And now you're kind of in one room hunched over your computer on Zoom and it's it's affecting a lot of things. Yeah, there's some simple movements you wouldn't even really think about were so important to your physical health. You know, like you just said, like going to lunch with a coworker or walking from the parking garage to your building. You know, these are little things that you do every day you don't think about, but then when you're sitting in a chair all day at your house, you realize, mm-hmm. wow, that little movement was so important to my day. That movement and that daylight, yeah, seeing the sun is really important for people's physical and mental health. It's important for bone health and bone production and mental health. That's for sure. Yeah. I actually just started seeing a new doctor and, uh, in one of our first blood tests, she pointed out that my vitamin D was very low. And I was like, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just not, I'm not going outside the same way that I used to. Mm-hmm. And, and my schedule is so weird in general. Cause I, I primarily do a morning radio show. So I'm waking up at say three or four o'clock in the morning normally. And this time of year, I mean, it doesn't get bright until, you know, say six, seven o'clock in the morning and it's dark at four o'clock in the afternoon. So there you lose so much time like everybody else. Uh, but I've always found that difficult because I wake up in the middle of the night all the time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a lot of vampires probably have pretty low vitamin D. Yeah, right. Too, but, um, you would think. <laughs> but I think for working from home, there's also a lack of boundaries yeah. for many people on when they're working and when they're not working. Um, and so that time when they would say, like, get up in the morning and go work out people are popping open their laptop or something urgent is coming on. It's not like they enter their office and that's when their workday starts. There's this blending of timeframes, which also decreases people's ability to move. Now on the flip side of that, we have a lot of greater access to home exercise equipment. And that industry is just flying through the roof as people are getting bicycles for home or treadmills etc. Weights, kettlebells. There was a kettlebell shortage recently, um, which is something I never thought I would hear myself say. Um, And that's amazing because it's really showing that people are trying to increase movement. Our job, like at Indigo, is to teach people how to do that safely and wisely and not overdo it, but also to learn how, where before you were potentially going to a gym or a class, Now you have to figure out, well, how do I cross train? How do I adapt my body and my space to be able to do these exercises appropriately? I think when you hear about pelvic health, it often is very heavily related to women, but it is something that men can benefit from as well. And I I know that um, the woman that connected you and I for this interview, she was telling me that you would talk to her about some things that she could do at home to, to help. Uh, keep her body from, you know, I don't want to say shutting down, but I think you know where I'm getting going with this because she's sitting down so much more uh, at home and working from home. And I'm wondering if you have some uh, simple tips for people that are things they can do to try to keep that pelvic floor strong and that pelvic health uh, positive. So I think that for a lot of people, there's so much emphasis on pelvic floor strengthening. And I would actually rather people focus on pelvic floor lengthening or downtraining, especially when you're sitting on Zoom or sitting in stressful situations. So like right now, if you really pay attention and you think like, can I actually relax my abdomen and relax my, my pelvic floor? So we'll kind of take you like up and then down. So for anybody, squeezing or contracting your pelvic floor is really like you were going to hold back urine or pick up your genital areas and kind of like draw it up and in or lift it up and in. And then you would relax by dropping that down. 
But a lot of people, when you tell them to contract, they're like, well, I don't really feel anything. But when you tell them to relax, they realize that they were actually controlling and holding a lot tighter than they anticipated. It's just like when you go to yoga and somebody says like, relax your jaw and your neck and you're like, holy smokes, my shoulders were like in my ears. (laughs) It's the same with pelvic floor. So a lot of people start to get really tight and really and gripping their pelvic floor muscles um, as they're sitting on Zoom meetings or in stressful situations. So really thinking about relaxing that. The other thing is there's a lot of exercises that you can sit and do right on Zoom. One is breath work. The other one is thinking about taking your putting those exercise bands that you can buy on Amazon for like $9 around your knees and drawing your knees apart and then back together. You can do marching, you can do glute exercises. Working those muscles that go around your hips can really help to strengthen your pelvic floor without just doing traditional kegels. Um, two things I want to comment on that. I know you're a running coach and a few years back I, I had a, some health issues that I had to work through, but I was running heavily before that. And I, and I never knew going into it because I just, I don't know, no one had ever told me I had never looked for it, how important those muscles are that you're just referencing those muscles around the hips in the midsection, how mm-hmm. important they were. Like I always thought running was, you know, stamina and being able to breathe and just your legs being strong enough to carry you. But there's so much more that goes into all of that. The research on this is still growing because um, it's a generally under-researched area, but I would argue that the pelvic floor is one of the most critical elements yeah. of running. Um, because it works together so closely with your core and your breath work, but also the deepest layer of pelvic floor muscles, they start in your pelvic floor, but they actually come out and attach to the top of your femur or your hip bone and they control rotation and abduction or that movement of keeping your pelvis stable. When that doesn't happen, well, you start to get that, that inner knee pain, that like runner's knee where your knee is kind of collapsing in or you're feeling weakness. So there's a, there's actually a really big correlation of, we see a lot of people that are distance runners that have this kind of chronic or nagging, like deep hip pain. And they've kind of flunked out of other PT and nothing's really helping them. It's actually that they have a lot of spasm or tone in their deepest layer of pelvic floor muscles. So it's, it's really critical for runners. And also is really involved in how your body adapts to load and impact. So you hit the ground, your body has to respond to that. Well, what's the first place where your body kind of merges as one? That central house is your pelvis. It's so funny, that old song uh, from when we were kids, the hip bone connected to the leg bone. Yeah. Like it's, you think about it now, it's so true. Like everything in the body is connected to something else. I remember I had a hamstring issue and my trainer was telling me, okay, well, we'll do some glute work. And I was like, well, what the hell is that going to do? Like, we're going to work mm-hmm. on my butt, but my hamstring hurts. Like, and she's like, no, 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 seriously. Like everything is tied together. That's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I started Indigo and in the way that it was, because I felt like traditionally in the practices that I had worked in, okay, we were treating this one central thing, but I might have somebody come in and report that they're having incontinence or pelvic floor weakness and or pelvic pain. And the first thing I'll say is like, okay, well, we're gonna, let's look at your posture. Let's look at your neck. Let's look at your spinal column or let's look at your feet. And they kind of think I'm a little crazy, but it's all one house. It's all one yeah. picture. And if I stand on a rock, it's still gonna affect my shoulders and my knees. So it, it affects the chain and you're right. It's it's all, it's all one thing. Not to, 
sound mean towards traditional medicine, but I love the fact that there are people like you and what you're doing at Indigo and, and other folks along those lines that are that are looking at the bigger picture. Because I feel like for so long, like you mentioned earlier in this conversation, it was the white coat. Someone in a white coat, you trust them, they tell you. And, and a lot of times it was just, uh, you got a headache, here's some medicine. But it wasn't treating the whole issue of what that might be. And I love that there are people that are actively trying to look at the body as a full thing and everything is connected to one another. And that I think is one of the reasons that makes us so good at what we do is this kind of need to problem solve, like that, that, that urge to kind of connect all of these different pieces. And also I think to your point, there is still very much a role for that white coat there. It just it's about collaboration and yeah. communication that like, Jeff, you are the center of your healthcare team, that your goals matter. And so kind of masking things with medication or, you know, kind of potentially unnecessary surgery, let's find out the real reason why this happens. And we're learning more and more that physical therapy is one of the top treatments for chronic pain. Um, you know, but again, it's always a collaborative approach. There's necessary for mental health, for acupuncture, for body work, et cetera, around that. But I think we can't, we can no longer work in a medical system. It's proven that it's failed, right? Like yeah. we have so many chronic illnesses in this country and look at us like undergoing this, this current situation or this pandemic and where, where people are prioritizing health or not. And we're really looking at like, you can't, you can't just hone in on the knee and say like, well, my knee hurts. So like, it's like, let's cut off the knee. Like, it's not just that we have to look at each person as a whole person, especially in layers. It's not just a person. This person has a gender identity. They have sexual preferences. They have dietary changes. They have familial trauma. There's so many different things that play into like how you heal or how your body has ability for resiliency that we have to look at it like this. You mentioned the phrase prioritizing health. Do you find that during the pandemic and, you know, maybe even go back a year or two that people are prioritizing health a lot more? I mean, I feel like I I'm researching it for myself. So maybe I look at it from a different perspective. But do you feel like people are taking the extra steps to really focus on health? I do see that. Um, I remember there was an article in the New York Times a while ago, and it talked about how millennials were kind of selfishly into this self-care generation. And it it wasn't it wasn't dissing that. It was just talking about the concept of that. But I actually think that if we reframe that and say like it's not just millennials or Gen Xers that are that are kind of like selfishly being luxurious in self care, like that's not self care. That's just health. That's right. just health care. Like acupuncture is health care. Like we are all just taking care of our health, mental health. And I think that that's where we reframe that, and people are becoming much more actively involved in their own healthcare plan and trying to work more towards preventative health, that they, they want to age gracefully, they want to stay strong, they want to keep moving, they want to prevent different healthcare things. Again, I just see a tiny slice of the population and people that are coming to us are really motivated to work towards their health. So I can't speak for the general population, but from what I see, yes, people are really motivated to change and optimize their health. I, I want to back up for just a second because there was something else you mentioned. You've talked about breath work a couple of times in here. And, yeah. and that, I think, is something that people really 
don't understand. And I did an interview with an author a few months back. He put a book out about breathing. And that was the first time that I knew how important breath work was. And I really started to focus on my own after that. And my gosh, I mean, going to sleep became easier, like just, Mm -hmm. you know, centering and calming down on a really stressful day became easier. It's fascinating what breathing can really do. And you've referenced it in uh, the aspect of, you know, working in your abdominals and your pelvic, uh, your pelvic Mm -hmm. health as well. Well, the, the core system is a pressure system. So if you like really reach back to physics in high school, there's pressure and volume um, and they work together. So doing breath work can help with that in your abdomen and help engage these muscles. But our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight, like I'm, I'm being chased by bears all the time, especially in our culture um, and the overwhelming amount of stress that people are under, they're under this like chased by bears mentality all the time. Well, if you're being chased by bears when you're sitting in your living room, like how can you cope with actual true stressful events? So breath work helps to take that down. So breath work is helping to kind of downtrain your nervous system and then set your body up to respond in a musculoskeletal way. So if we think about runners, running is kind of this, like you are running from bears, like you're in this like high sympathetic nervous system zone. So we need breaks in between that to get you low so that your body can recover to have a better run next time. If you're running from bears 365 days a year, that, you know, you can't, you're not going to perform as that high of a level. It's the same for anything. That's why sleep is critical too. Um, But breath work is, I think, one of the pillars of health that we're really missing. So many people hold their breath or they don't know how to breathe. Or I'm sure as you learned, you know, our chest breathers, but breathing is, is a super critical part of our health. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a lifelong asthmatic, so <laughs> breathing is something I've always uh, been very interested in uh, because some days it's a lot harder for me than others. Uh, but yeah, breath work, learning more about that. I mean, even going on YouTube and looking up different videos of people. I mean, there's some fascinating things that people it's are fascinating. doing. It's fascinating. Yeah. And there's a lot of different theories on it, but it's really fascinating. And there are, there are a lot of mindfulness techniques and mental health practitioners that are working very closely with breath work to help people um, understand and engage with their lives in a different, more healthy way. I did get a laugh, uh, from my wife inadvertently when we were getting ready to have the baby, um, because we had to go to a pregnancy class and they were talking about breathing and even in the hospital yeah. when she was in labor and, and by no means do I know everything, but there are certainly things that I've been working on more for myself. And a lot of the breath work that they were telling her about were things that I was telling her for months prior that she totally ignored me on <laughs> so many times. And she's like, oh, can you believe how much better I feel? I was like, yes, I can. I've been telling you this. <laughs> breath work is a pain moderator. Yeah. So, um, And also, if you think about like, if you want one hole to open, you got to have them all open. So that goes for birthing, constipation. You need like your glottis, like your throat open. So doing that active breath work helps that open. It helps kind of other things down the chain open up. But yeah, you're, you're right, Jeff. I'm going to, I'm going to pass you the torch on this one that you, you won that battle. <laughs> breath work is super important. Let me tell you What's though. more important than ironing baby onesies or other things that like we somehow nest at the early stages. Trying to win a battle during labor. Not a good idea. Just not a good idea. Yeah. No, my husband survived, but um, <laughs> kind of barely. <laughs> I'm still here at the moment, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so, so you're the expert here. I know we've, we've kind of jumped around a lot, but what, what am I missing? What am I missing on the work that you do with pelvic health uh, that, that people really need to know? What have we not talked about? 
So I think what's critical is to understand that there are a lot of missing aspects of healthcare that that have been so normalized in our culture. Like women that have a baby, it's it's just been normalized that they pee when they sneeze or they're like, you know, hesitant to go to a trampoline park with their kids because they're going to leak urine. Um, pain, any kind of pain in your pelvic area at any point or different dysfunctions for any gender. I think that that's just been so normalized. We've kind of quieted that area and shut it down and we're less, we're less able to talk about it without feeling some shame. And I think that that now needs to be a normal part of the conversation and a normal part of talking about health. Like for men, you know, for instance, like chronic constipation, pain with ejaculation, things like that, those, those can be treated. And it's just not talked about because there's not really like that primary doctor that men see, for instance, when they have something like that, like people might go to a PCP, um, but a pelvic PT is where that's, that's at. And I think that this is really a missing link for many different people um, and that it should be an important part of your healthcare plan at some point in your life. And I, I do think we've, we've talked a lot about postpartum and we've talked a lot about women. And I feel like that's where a lot of the conversation with pelvic health kind of gets stabilized and, and rightfully yeah. so, because women, especially in a pregnancy, they go through a lot of things that men will never experience in their life. So obviously mm -hmm. there's a lot of physical changes that happen to women that don't happen to men, but it is still important for men to be aware of this as well. It's really important, especially as men become more ath more active or athletic, for instance, like groin injuries, sports hernias, yeah. umbilical hernias, um, failure to get really good lift off if they're trying to power through something or sprint. There's a lot of that that, you know, we focus so much on like glute strengthening, et cetera, um, that the pelvic floor is really important. And regardless of gender, people have, they have sexual dysfunction. Yeah. Um, they have pain, they have incontinence, they have constipation and all of those things can be treated instead of just lived with, um, quietly. And, you know, we get a lot of, we got a lot of males that say like, okay, well, I've found that it's like increasingly more painful to sit on a bar stool or to, you know, have the sex that I want to, or my sex drive has changed because I'm in like pain all the time. Those are things that can be, can be helped with different modalities. I don't want to make fun of anybody's situation, but I like the example of, you know, it's just uncomfortable for me to sit on a bar stool. I really should get this fixed. Yeah. <laughs> That's my trigger. We look, we look at, we look at what, we look at what people's like function sure. is, right? And if you're not doing something, so if your norm is that Fridays, this is like all pre pandemic, but if your norm is on Fridays that you go to a work happy hour and yeah. that's how you engage with your peers. And now suddenly you can't do that. And everyone's like, Hey man, where are you? Um, you know, that, that that's, that's what we go for. That's okay. That's your goal. It might not be, might not be to sit on a bar stool, but it might be to like sit on a hard surface, yeah. sit at grandma's house <laughs> on the dining room table. That's like 200 years old. Hey, so. whatever gets you to take that first step to going in and getting help. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. If, if you are taking I, that step to get the information you need to help you, that's great. That's what's hardest for people. I think once they're in the door, they're like, oh, like yeah. this, this is like, this is where I'm supposed to be. But it's that first step, you know, people are like Googling in the middle of the night, like, Hey, actually, like, could I benefit from this? Or a lot of people walk in and say like, I never even knew this existed. Um, and that's what we're here for is to, to break that that stigma and say like, okay, well now it should be, it should be norm because it's norm in many other countries yeah. that for, 
like for instance, for your wife, if she delivered or gave birth to her baby in France or Ireland or New Zealand or Australia, she would just go to a pelvic PT afterwards and make sure like, Hey, this is like, you know, you had some tearing and like surgical stitching, like now there's no scar tissue or we should work on this. Um, same, you know, with like for a person that gets their prostate removed, they would go see a pelvic PT afterwards in other places. And I don't, I don't really, I don't have a good answer for why that just hasn't taken on here. Um, that isn't a much longer conversation, but now I think it's starting to get more traction. And so bringing awareness and conversations like this to people to say like, Hey, like, that's not actually like, that's not actually normal. I love that people are. Are, and I said it before, are taking the steps to to really mm-hmm. prioritize their health. And, you know, whether it's pelvic health or whether it's mental health, you know, there, there's always been a stigma about a lot of these things. Like you just said, like it's getting in the mm-hmm. door the first time. Once you get through that step, then people feel comfortable and they're excited that they did it and they're happy that they made that decision. But it's getting people to, to break through that mental stigma about whatever the situation may be and take that first step. And that's, I'm glad people are starting to get there. There's still a lot of work to be done, but I'm glad people are starting to get there. Well, I think that a lot of this, I had a conversation with some of my local peers about this a few years ago because like, you know, us and chiropractors and acupuncturists and body workers, like we were, we were kind of shoved into this like natural health or this like wellness spectrum. This hippy dippy kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like, you know, all woo. And that's, that's great for some people, but that's not us. We're doing evidence-based things. We, um, we, this is not wellness. This is health. This is your physical health. These are things that are really important and critical. And, I think now that that stigma is down and people are understanding like, okay, this isn't just um, wizardry that there's, there's actual things that are important in our body and that we're paying attention to those things in a different way and treating that whole person. People are taking greater steps to come do that. And they don't feel as, as there's as many barriers to seeking that care. That being said, you know, mental health is, is one of those, cogs on the wheel that's really important and and we will often see people and say hey like we're important but you're only going to see us a few times like let's give you some resources to these other practitioners and then those people feel more comfortable seeing those other practitioners knowing that we've kind of vetted them and, and we're kind of holding their hand towards that direction it takes a village even in the health field that's for sure yeah (laughs) yep uh, Dr. Sam, uh, we have gotten so much great information from you. Seriously, it's been a fantastic conversation, but I, I want people to learn a little bit more about indigo physiotherapy. So uh, where can people go to find out more information? Who should be investigating this information uh, to come see you? So we treat all genders, prenatal, postpartum, and throughout the lifespan for anything from pregnancy to abdominal separation, incontinence, pelvic pain, constipation, and kind of the whole gamut of athletes returning to sport after some kind of pregnancy or pelvic injury or hysterectomy. And you can find us at www.indigophysio.com, which is I-N-D-I-G-O-P-H-Y-S-I-O. And you can also find us on Instagram where we're at Indigo Physio. Where did the, uh, why'd you choose the term indigo for this, by the way? Um, sorry. We're good. No, it's okay. I love it. I got a dog sitting on my feet right now. I'm surprised he hasn't moved. <laughs> um, 
I wanted a, it's kind of a familial thing, but I wanted a name that was going to be very gender neutral so that we could attract all different people in our space so that they could feel at home there. Well, I love it. I think the dog is telling us our interview is over yeah. and uh, it's time to wrap this up. Dr. Samantha Duflo, thank you so much for taking some time. I appreciate thank all of so the much, information and, and hopefully people do continue to take those steps to, to make sure that they uh, are healthy and in the right place. Thanks for having me, Jeff, and congratulations again. All right, big thank you to Dr. Sam Duflo from Indigo Physiotherapy. That conversation has definitely opened my eyes to other questions and topics that I want to include on Be More Well in the future, so I'm working on that. Also, thank you to all of you for taking some time out of your day to listen. I really appreciate your support. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening on right now so you can be updated on all future episodes. And until next week, thank you so much.